0: You would give your attention to the Word of God in the book of Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Hebrews chapter 5, we shall begin reading at verse 11, and we'll read through chapter 6 at verse 12. Hebrews five eleven. through chapter 6, verse 12. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, chapter 6, verse 1, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings or baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, And have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated, receive a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the Word of our God. Let's pray. Father, help us that we see this well. Oh, Lord, overcome our dullness of hearing. Overcome the dimness of our eyes. Overcome the hardness of our hearts. Oh, Lord, may this word have the impact you intend this day. For we pray it in Christ's name. Few words have ever been more infuriating to a young person than grow up. That's kind of the parental way of ending all debate. Fury takes over at that point and there's probably not much sound conversation afterwards but there are times such an excitation, such an imperative are merited. Of course, The accusation and implication is that you lack some essential character trait. Now, when you're young, you want to be thought of as mature, as actually being older than you are. When you're near adulthood, it's discouraging to be treated as though you're still a child. Here the author of Hebrews uses the same kind of language to describe his audience Description is one that also fits our day. Now, you'll notice as he begins, he says, about this we have much to say. About what? Back up a verse or two. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest, After the order of Melchizedek. And all God's children said, what's a Melchizedek? Because most of us have not read Genesis in a while. Now he's going to get to Melchizedek. But he has to stop here for an exhortation. A warning. About this we have much to say is your heads up from the preacher that later he's going to talk more about Melchizedek. He's going to talk more about Christ as the high priest. He has more to say about that. But for the moment, he wants to give an exhortation to his audience. You see, my friend, far too often, my observation is this, that people treat growth in the Christian life as optional. That growing as a Christian is something that maybe you do, but not necessarily need to do. But the fact is, continuing in spiritual immaturity is not only to disobey the Lord, it is fully and finally dangerous. Horrifically dangerous to not grow. Now, there is considerable territory here to cover. So let's jump in and see what we see. First consideration immaturity is unacceptable. Chapter 5. Those final verses, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Immaturity is unacceptable. Now here is the crisis of spiritual immaturity. What he had to teach them was hard, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was they were dull of hearing. Now the word there for dull is used of people in the original language as being as intellectually developed as a rock. So, if you want the modern parallel, he's basically saying to them, You're as dumb as a box of rocks. That would be a fair colloquial description of what he says to them. The theology was too deep and the students were too lazy. Now, you see, my friend, where there's dullness toward the Word of God, dullness toward the Bible, you have a problem. These folks have been Christians long enough, they should be able to teach others. It's been several years since their conversion. And, of course, the painful thing then is to ask ourselves, if it's been several years since our conversion, could we tell somebody else the basics of the Christian faith? Now, I know, I hear the objection, all, oh, no, I'm not a teacher, I'm not able to teach. I'm, okay, we're not talking about the office of teacher. We're talking about the basic obligation for a believer to know enough, to grow enough, to be useful for somebody else who's just learning the faith or wants to know about the faith. That is the level we're referencing here. Have you matured enough to be able to teach someone else the basics? Our Reformed heritage we found they taught Christians in their catechisms through three things. The Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer. And if you can answer those questions, you had the basic doctrine you were expected to testify for Christ and be able to teach others. When he says you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, he's basically using a euphemism for saying Some of y'all need your ABCs spiritually all over again because you have not grown. Immaturity is a crisis, arrested development as a believer is unacceptable. Immaturity causes all kinds of problems. Christians who are flighty, they have no commitments, it is a staggering thing anymore, to try to get Christians to be committed. Well, preacher, I'll I'll join, but you know, I'll only be here when I can. Well, in one sense, I want to say fine, as long as you mean exactly what you just said. When you can, you will, versus when it suits you, it will. There is a flimsiness a flightiness, if you will, to that. There's a flimsy attitude. Not enough sound doctrine to give a sturdy life. Christians today who are faddish, they, they tend to follow whatever new teaching comes down the road. I think I've shared with you, I had a lady in my last church, <laughs> the Lord bless her heart, who was very immature on several levels. And older than I, a senior citizen, no doubt. And let's just say she was, uh, I I think the technical term is prickly. You had to be careful with her, okay? Uh, You could get hurt. Uh, She had a short fuse and there was no, no way to know what might set it off. And she calls me one evening. Now, it's rather late. I've always been pretty much early to bed kind of guy. So if you call me after 9 o'clock, somebody should be dying. Is that fair? Or at least think they're dying. So it's nearing 10 p.m. and my phone rings. Now this is the day before cell phone, so it's just... The house phone. I get on the phone and I'm being told, Brother Shivers, that's what she called me, Brother Shivers, there's this guy going to be on here in a little bit on the news who is going to tell us when Jesus is coming back. Okay. Well, he's going to be on a little bit. He's going to tell us when the Lord's coming back. Uh Uh-huh. Well, are are you going to watch it? No? You're not? No? Why not? He's a liar. I'm sorry, I get a little surly after nine. That's the other thing to keep in mind. <laughs> He's a liar? I said to her, called her by name. The text of Scripture from our own Lord's mouth says this. Nobody knows the day nor the hour of his coming, and this twit doesn't know either. I would encourage you not to watch what he has to say, nor listen to him. He's wrong. Now, she's not the only one I've observed in the fads of Christian living I remember some years ago another fad was the idea of regional demons who were over certain cities and certain areas. And you were supposed to engage in a kind of spiritual warfare and I never was sure how you worked this part out but you were to figure out who the demon was over that area and pray for them to be pulled down and destroyed. And I was always fascinated because it was like, So who is it that gets to know who these these demonic forces are? Folks, I believe in praying against the kingdom of Satan. Please understand, I'm in favor of that. I have no doubt that there are spiritual authorities in high places and darkness. But this became then the methodology. We've got to figure that out. And there's been others that have risen suddenly and plummeted just as quickly. But you see, my friend, if you don't have any maturity, you find yourself caught up in things like that. Some of you remember the whole biblical numerology thing, that the guy that fixed a Bible did a Bible that was somehow run through a computer, and because of the numbers he had all sorts of brand new information on the Bible. Nobody had ever seen it in 2,000 years of biblical interpretation. What do you do with that kind of a Bible, that kind of a book? Well, you burn it. It's fine fire starter. It is ludicrous, not maturity. The cause is first and foremost dietary. So many professing Christians are like Peter Pan. They don't want to grow up. They want to stay children in the faith forever. Let someone else take the responsibilities in the kingdom. In fact, better yet, let's pay somebody to do the leading, the teaching, hire someone to do the work, and then whine and complain when things don't go our way. A child will never grow up if all they get is milk, and that is the analogy in the picture, milk versus solid food. Such a child in the faith is in arrested development. Now, this is tragic when we see it, Physically in children. Years ago, a couple in our church couldn't have children themselves and they adopted children. One of the children they adopted, Miss, little Miss Mariah, was from Romania. And they had to go to Romania to get her. And they, they meet Mariah in the hospital. And Mariah is a little over a year old, something like 12 to 18 months old. Mariah couldn't stand, she couldn't sit, she couldn't crawl. She couldn't do anything. She had her diaper changed every 12 hours. She had a bottle every 12 hours. And that's how she lived. Now when they got her home, there wasn't much the poor little thing could do. But I want you to know something. After several months of eating good Oklahoma cooking, she kept up with everybody and outran several." My brothers and sisters, we are to grow. I hear people say, I want to have a childlike faith. No, for many of you, you don't want childlike, you want childish. You want something that doesn't press you, that doesn't make you think, that doesn't move you to wrestle with these things. When I look at the text here, he says, Those who, when you have solid food, you have their power of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You look back at verse 13, he says, those who live on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. To be unskilled or unacquainted with that word is to demonstrate immaturity. Many Christians don't appear to understand the meaning or implications that they're saved by another's righteousness. That's a mark of immaturity legalism over and over again I find people who substitute legalism for maturity and grace legalism is when you know absolutely every single thing that's right or wrong down to the nth detail and you're willing to tell everybody how they ought to live you go beyond what the text of scripture says and you create your own laws that is immaturity The cure, solid food, the truths of God's Word. How do you get it? Well, listen with all you have. Pay close attention to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Listen when you're in class. Read your Bible. Study. Think about these things. When we talk about corporate worship, let me me explain the covenantal, if you will, agreement we're under here. Our task is to do the best we can as elders, as teachers, to understand this word ourselves and in understanding it, think through how to explain it clearly so when it's done, you go, oh, okay, I get it. Or brokenheartedly, oh, I get it or oh i need jesus but you see there's another side to that dear christian brother and sister the other side is you have a labor to do as well your labor is to listen now admittedly listening can be easier or harder depending on your own preferences depending on how much sleep you had depending on your attention and how many distractions are going on in your life, and to some extent, admittedly, dependent on the preacher. (sighs) But you see, even a fellow that's not a dynamic preacher, if he's teaching the Word of God well, you and I have an obligation, if we're listening, to listen well. To hear. Well, it's easier if he's entertaining. Yes, most things are But we're not here for entertainment. We're here for worship. Entertainment is for consumers. Worship is for Christians. Oh my, I know I got meddlesome there. But my brothers and sisters, what this does for us, this learning the Word of God and focusing on it, does so much for the good of our souls. Don Whitney, who teaches spiritual formation now at Southern Seminary, wrote a little book, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? Excellent little volume, by the way. He tells about this introspective young woman who had been riding a roller coaster of assurance, and she had been in a twisted valley of doubt, clouded by fear that she had deceived herself about her motives, her responses, three years earlier when she'd professed faith in Christ. And she repeatedly asked herself, whether, and this is, I've seen this myself, back then, that she had repented right or believed right. Recalling the pattern in previous conversations, Don said it occurred to him. Her response, her question was whether she had responded appropriately appropriately to the gospel. Her focus was misplaced. She was trying to find assurance in what she had done rather than in what God had done. And she has come to a more Godward focus, and she has much more assurance and joy. Christian, for some of you, you labor over the issue of assurance because you're trying to parse your experience from years ago, and I got news for you, your memory ain't that good. There's a lot of things you and I struggle to remember well, right? (laughs) Even a little bit. And we think that somehow we ought to know exactly all that was going on in mind and heart. No, my friend. The question is, do you trust Him? Is He your hope? Then rest in Him. Not how well you've done this, how well has He done it? A mighty Savior saves very weak sinners. Well, I've only got a little bit of faith. It's enough. It is never the quantity of your faith that saves you. It is the quality thereof. A drop of water is still water. A drop of faith is still faith. Which I think might parallel something Jesus said about faith the size of a mustard seed. Some of y'all ought to meditate on that. I don't have time now. We're moving on. Learn to apply this word. Now immaturity is unacceptable But even more alarming is this reality, pilgrims progress, apostates regress. Now we get to the sixth chapter and these verses are very disturbing. And in light of how disturbing they are, I've seen a couple of tendencies. One is, I'm going to ignore it because it upsets me, well that's not safe. And the other is, I'm going to camp here, I can't stay away from this. I've got to figure out if I'm real or if I'm apostate. That isn't healthy either, children. We ought to pay attention to what it says. Uh, A military instructor one time told the story that at officer training school and artillery school in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, from 58 to 60, they had a hard time getting anybody to pay any attention to what they were saying. Guys would go to sleep in class, and they weren't listening. But boy, from 65 to 67, Everybody was paying attention because Vietnam was in play, and most of them were six weeks away from being right in the fight, and suddenly you want to know how artillery works and what you ought to do with it. Hear what I'm saying. Christian, progress is inevitable for the believer. Now he, he talks about this. Let us leave the elementary doctrine. Now, what are the elementary doctrines? He says to go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. So what's the elementary? What's the foundation? Well, he lists six things repentance from acts that lead to death, faith, instruction about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection from dead, eternal judgment. Now, let me explain that very quickly what he said. Repentance is pretty straightforward. What is the gospel? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beginning point. Here's how you enter the kingdom, the repentance and faith, washings, baptisms, likely referencing a difference between Jewish washings and Christian baptism. Bear in mind when John the Baptist went around baptizing, washing, if you will, Jews, it was controversial. Because in the day the only people that went through ceremonial washings were Gentiles coming in from outside of Judaism and it was symbolic of them washing away the sinful wickedness of having been a Gentile. For Jews to be baptized was scandalous. So for many of them they had to understand the issue of Christian baptism. Yes. You must be baptized. Laying on of hands is likely a reference to the gifts of the Holy Spirit symbolized by laying on of hands. Resurrection from the dead, very straightforward, and eternal judgment. Believers are to make progress. These things you ought to know as a new believer. As the Lord gives grace to do so, believers, pilgrims, will make progress. Bear in mind, my friend, you don't grow by accident and you don't grow merely on your own. The Lord is at work in your life. Now, hear what I just said. The Lord is at work in your life. I don't feel like He's at work. The Lord is at work in your life. Well, shouldn't I? The Lord is at work in your life. Do something. Don't wait till you feel Don't wait till you sense. Act. Whether in maturing, growing, hearing, eating, acting. It's the next part now that makes us nervous. That apostates regress. For the apostate recovery is absolutely impossible. Now when you read verses 4 through 8, you're reading one of the most controversial sections of the entirety of the Bible there are five that I've found possible interpretations about these people. Who are they? What are they? Well, some think it's describing true Christians who actually lose their salvation. Second, it describes true Christians who sin, but somehow recover. Third, it's merely hypothetical. If someone could fall away, they could never come back. Fourth, it describes false professors who were close but never genuine. Fifth, it is a motivational exhortation to believers. You can't actually apostatize but live with the sobering of thought of what that would look like if you did. Now, let me respond quickly. Christian losing their salvation? No. No way to do that in the light of the text of Scripture. The second one, recovery, that seems impossible in light of the language. In fact, the language is it's impossible to recover. Third one, theoretical, I wonder why you'd warn about the impossible. The, fifth, the fourth one, excuse me, false professors who were close but never genuine, I think that's quite likely. And the fifth one, motivational, I think there's an element of that, but it also is difficult. I'll just say this, my friend, the author has this in mind. So however you see this, hear what I'm saying. The author has in mind the Israelites who began but didn't finish. Remember the earlier... The folks that wouldn't go into the land and their carcasses fell in the wilderness, this is still fresh in his mind. They had seen the miracles. They had walked through the Red Sea. They had had bread from heaven. They had had water from a rock. They had had quail airmailed, as it were. And yet they died in the wilderness. They did not truly believe. Here, my friend, I think is part of the warning at least you can be close but not actually be changed. You can have a degree of enlightenment. You can, in some sense, have tasted the heavenly gift. You can have shared, at least in observing, the Holy Spirit's work. You've tasted the goodness of the Word. You've tasted the powers of the coming age. And yet, and yet not be changed yourself. My brother and sister, I've done this so long now. <laughs> I've seen people fall. And every time I've seen them fall, the text for me that comes to mind is John's statement. They went out from us, for they were not of us. For had they been of us, would they not have continued with us? Now, I'm not talking about a believer backsliding. I've seen that happen, too. I'm talking about people who run and not just run and hide. They find it infuriating to even consider coming back. They're cold. They're distant. They want nothing to do with it anymore. Now, you say, well, okay, I I pray that's not you as well. But, oh Christian, hear me. Hear me. What we deal with here are matters of eternal life and eternal death. These are not light things. This is why it is so discouraging when people take the view of this being some kind of spiritual entertainment. My friends, these things are too heavy to be thought of in that way. People's eternal destiny hangs on what we speak of here. You're going to exist forever, somewhere. And there is a God who is holy, holy, holy to whom you must answer. The latter part of the text he talks about the land drinking rain, it's an illustration. The land drinking in rain like people taking in the blessing of God and what does the land bear? Well if it bears fruit then it's genuine, if thorns it isn't. Whether it is the understanding that this is somebody who's near but not real or the description of, of a warning for Christians to take this so seriously. the the outcome is this, an impossibility to repent. In fact, he said if that could happen, you would in essence be saying Jesus deserved to die. He didn't die for sinners, because I don't have anything to do with that. Jesus deserved to die. Hmm. I know you're thinking, great, so much for an appetite today. But this isn't where I stopped. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to put all these together. Because just as you feel the weight of that, and my friend, I want you to feel the weight of it. I want you to have a trembling when you read that. I want you to stop and ponder I don't want you to stay there and be miserable. But my friend, that is in the text for your good. But I also want you to look at what he says next. As we review, immaturity is unacceptable. Pilgrim's progress, apostate's regress. Finally, Christian, You're supposed to have a fully assured hope. I love this. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved. I'm going to point out something. That's the first time that the author uses the term beloved. After hitting this thing so hard, he doesn't want them to think he doesn't care for them, he doesn't love them. He says, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. And I would say to you, my dear children, I feel the same as one of your shepherds. I feel better about you than that, but I would be an absolute pastoral malpractice if I didn't warn you. How do you have fully assured hope? Well, remind yourself, he never forgets. Now, in one way, that's not comforting, is it? (laughs) Let me say, there are some things the Lord does forget. Isaiah 43, 25, "I I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Or in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, that's good news, children. You ought to hold on to that, right? He forgets it. But there are some things the lord doesn't forget what is it he doesn't forget he doesn't overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do the lord reckons your deeds of kindness to other believers as done for him he notices i don't know you ever feel like you do stuff and nobody notices now, I don't want to wander into the whole marriage question here because I know we can get there real fast. Never get a thank you for a clean house or a prepared meal or bringing home a paid, you know, we, we can all sit here and feel sorry for ourselves, right? But you ever catch yourself as a Christian wondering, is it noticed? And that can be an awful trap, can't it? Is anybody paying attention? Well, I'll tell you this, the Lord is. And the Lord marks it down. In fact, Jesus will say in Matthew 25, The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers, what? You did it for me. The deeds, the actions, don't have saving merit, but they're his work in us, and he's pleased with that. Paul was saying 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Or Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My friends, hear me when I say this. Christian, if you want to demonstrate your love to the Lord you demonstrate it by how you take care and help other believers this is is quoting Luther God doesn't need your good works but your neighbor does and he counts it as done to him He encourages you that this diligence to do these things is proof of genuineness. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Diligence and service to others is absolutely vital. Even if we're not sure it's being noticed, the Lord notices, and we take action. And folks, we don't even know how that all works. I I, I found this story uh, back from World War II. The USS Astoria was the first U.S. cruiser to engage the Japanese during the Battle of Savo Island, a night action fought in August of 1942. And although it scored a couple of hits on the Imperial flagship, the Astoria was so badly damaged it sank shortly after noon or was sinking on the 9th of August. So at 0200, a young Midwesterner, signalman third class Elgin Staples, was swept overboard by a blast when Astoria's number one eight-inch gun exploded. Wounded in both legs with shrapnel and in shock, he was kept afloat by a narrow life belt that he managed to activate it had a simple trigger mechanism and he, he activated it. it kept him afloat four hours later 0600 he was rescued by a passing destroyer and returned to the astoria where the captain was trying to save the cruiser by beaching it it failed and staples still wearing the same life belt found himself back in the water at lunchtime Picked up again. He was one of 500 survivors. For the first time on this new ship, he examined the life belt. noticed it was manufactured by Firestone and that it had a registration number. And he was so amazed by the device, he actually memorized the number. Well, he got leave. For being wounded, and he went back to Ohio, where his mom worked at the Firestone factory. And he said, Mom, what's the deal with that registration number? He said, Well, for accountability, every inspector has to put their number on those belts that they checked them and that they actually worked. This is gonna save somebody's life. And he said, well, would you know this number? And he cites the number, and she says, son, that was my number. His own mother had inspected the life belt that saved the life of her son. Now, folks, I know, say, well, that's a cool story. Can't wait to tell some of that story. Folks, if all you remember is the story I never should have told you, Diligence in serving others, the Lord notices. And in fact, he says, look how, if I, you see that at verse 12, um, so you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Got to let you know, see. that's the promise that chapter 11 is coming, the hall of fame, all the heroes of faith. You see, my friend, you and I are to imitate the faithful and remind ourselves that we are not the first to live this life. You're not the first one to feel weakness. You're not the first one to experience temptation. You're not the first to have fear, the first to fall, the first to succeed. You look at Scripture, whether you think of Abraham, Moses, Rahab, John the Baptist, Simon, Peter, or Paul, or you look through Christian history. What you're going to find is people have done this before you and I. We should look to them and let that encourage us, but also look to them and realize all of us struggle, and this is about the greatness of the God who preserves us. I know you saying, well, preacher, you just said I've got to persevere. Why are you talking about preservation? My friend, you persevere because He preserves Final hymn we sang this morning, just before the sermon. He will hold me fast. I have a hard time singing it without weeping myself. It just—I remember I heard it the first time ten years ago. It just dawned on me. I've been listening to that hymn now for ten years. Christian, yes. I want you to tremble a bit when you read this. You should. While we think about what we do here, this matters. For all eternity, it matters. But oh, Christian, (laughs) yes, labor. Get to work. Grow up. (laughs) Be useful. Help others. But never for a moment think that that's all about your power. I say it again, he's at work, so work. He is acting, so act. He is watching, he knows. Now, friend, if you don't know Jesus, all of this is nothing but alarming to you. And so here is my encouragement, yes, be alarmed. But let the alarm lead to this. Repentance. Lord, I am sorry. I am a failure. I am a sinner. I am wicked. I must trust Jesus as my only hope of salvation. If you do that, he hears you. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. It comes to us in many ways wounding, dividing, separating, convicting us. It comes to us comforting, restoring, healing. Our Father, May your word be to each of us this day, what will do us the most good, and what will bring the most glory unto you. Own this word by the power of your spirit, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.